When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. This administration. He takes being called a pig as a compliment because he knows that they're smarter than most dogs and people. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. Hey, good morning to you. Welcome aboard. It is December 31st, 2020. It is the final day in the year that felt like it would never end. Let's kick the show off with some good news. According to reports, grain prices should improve in 2021. Global grain stocks will likely be about 1.5% higher next year than they are this year, reversing that downward trend that we've seen the last few years. So despite the rise in global supplies, USDA is forecasting higher corn, wheat, and barley prices than they did for this year. The average corn price is projected to be about $4 a bushel compared to three eighty-five this year. And then the average wheat price is forecasted to be around $4.80 a bushel. That is up $0.20 cents from this marketing year. So let's certainly hope that that holds true. And also, we got a really good show for you this morning. We're going to hear from Caitlin Riley in just a second. We're talking swine health this AM. And then we're also going to catch up with one of our market advisors from Ever Ag in Chicago. He's going to give us a market update, the final one of 2020. All of that is straight ahead right here on the Midwest Farm Report. Reporting from the banks of the mighty Mississippi, Caitlin Riley joins us from La Crosse in just moments, right here on the Midwest Farm Report. Hey, there goes Pam Yonke in her suburban truck across Wisconsin. Thanks to Blaine's Farm and Fleet, the original, authentic, still family-owned since 1965. And by your Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin exist to be a tireless advocate, marketer, and promoter for Wisconsin dairy farmers by growing demand for their dairy products. Keep up with Pam on social media, Fabulous Farm Bay on Facebook and Twitter, and at MidwestFarmReport.com. Everyone at the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board lives and breathes Wisconsin soybeans and can be your knowledgeable ally in the field and at home. With important grower alerts, timely production advice and industry news, and expert-generated grower research, we are the resource to help your crop and business thrive. Stay in the know and connect with the Wisconsin Soybean Community by finding Badger Bean on Facebook or by visiting badgerbean.com. Happy New Year as we end a year that nobody wants to hang around any longer and we have to hopefully get into a new year and things are better. Bob Bosold at the northern end of the world's longest barn in Eau Claire. And of course, the number one story has been COVID. Try and stay healthy, not only for you and I, but also for our animals, whether they're pets or whether they're farm animals. And Caitlin, you've talked to some folks that are very much involved in the health of some of our farm animals. That's right, Bob. They're looking to be proactive rather than reactive, which I think a lot of us could hope for in 2021 from the western end of the world's longest barn in La Crosse. I'm Caitlin Riley, and the Swine Health Information Center is working to prevent and predict disease outbreaks. And I had the chance to talk with Executive Director Dr. Paul Sundberg with the center to learn about how they're tackling current diseases that we see in the headlines. We've talked a lot this past year about African swine fever, but he told me about 
about some really cool new developments coming from the center that changed his field of work as a veterinarian. The Swine Health Information Center was formed in 2015, and it's been charged with keeping an eye out for emerging diseases. In 2013, when we broke with PED in the U.S., that was kind of a wake-up call that that we're doing things about endemic diseases. We're working on PERS, we're working on mycoplasma, those types of things. We're working on foreign animal diseases and keeping them out or being prepared for those. But all of a sudden, this PED was something new. And so the center was formed to monitor both domestically and internationally for emerging diseases, to do research that's focused on emerging disease research and diagnostics and preparedness and response, and also to look at the the data that the industry is collecting and monitoring and analyzing that data. There's a lot of production, a lot of health data that's available voluntarily within the industry and people sharing information. And the center, the third thing the center does is try to analyze that data to see what trends there are in health, see what trends there are in management, and feeding that back to the industry so they can do a better job with their pigs. And I'm assuming that in the world of 2020, a big topic has been the African swine fever and how to make sure that we keep that out of the U.S. Have you done any work on that or noticed any momentum on that groundwork? Well, there's a lot of work that's been done on ASF. And you're right. The first priority is focusing on prevention. We don't want it here. That's national and farm level biosecurity. And one thing that we've done for that is we've commissioned an international risk assessment company that we've asked to look at the whole pork industry in the United States. The imports that we do, both feed and all of the other imports that come in, are pig movements, are movements of people, and the uh, risks of importation of a virus through the airports or through uh, some logistics. And look at the whole pork industry as a whole and give us a risk assessment to make sure that we are focusing on the highest priority biosecurity items first. We're doing a lot of biosecurity work. And one of the things that we want to make sure of is that we aren't missing something. We aren't doing a lot of individual projects and then somebody's missing something. So we want to make sure that we have a look at the whole forest as we go about chopping down individual trees of biosecurity. And and so that's really exciting. The second thing that we've got going on for the center is in 2019, last year, with the help of the National Pork Producers Council, we got a USDA Foreign Ag Service grant of $1.7 million to study African swine fever in Vietnam as it breaks, as it is breaking in Vietnam. African swine fever is a virus that we can study in the laboratory and look at it in pigs one at a time or five at a time or 10 at a time. But this is an opportunity to go out on the farms where African swine fever is actually breaking and to do a lot of different projects in Vietnam, one, to help inform them, two, to help them manage, but three, to help us learn lessons that we need to have before it gets to the country. So we're focused on prevention, but we want to make sure that if it gets here, 
we don't waste time in being able to respond, to control, and to recover. I was going to ask that, you know, rather than saying it's not going to get here, you noted if it gets here, is it feasible for us to expect that we can keep it out or do we anticipate that it will eventually breach our borders? That's the old question about is it um, if it comes or when it comes. And we haven't had, for example, we haven't had foot and mouth disease in the U.S. since 1929. But we are under so much epidemiological pressure with African swine fever. There's so much virus around the world right now. None of it is in the Western Hemisphere. None of it's in North America. None of it's in South America. But there's so much virus out in other parts of the world that we're under a lot of pressure for that virus to get into the U.S. I think more than we've been under pressure for the other, for classical swine fever or hog cholera, for foot and mouth disease, those types of things. I don't think we're, we have been under that much pressure for those as we are currently for ASF. So yeah, we have to focus on prevention, but we sure have to be ready should it get into the U.S. And I know ASF, that's what's in the headlines, but you are more on the ground level of understanding in depth of what we're looking at with spine health. Is there anything else that we should be monitoring, anything else that we should be talking about in that industry? One of the really exciting things I think that we've got going on is separate projects with the University of Minnesota and with North Carolina State University, but they're both pointed toward the same goal. That goal is being able to predict an outbreak of PED on the farm before it happens. Looking out in the future and saying, this farm is at high risk for a PED outbreak within the next two weeks, for example. That's what, that's what we're doing. That's really exciting. We now have the opportunity and the ability to um, be able to predict disease with a fair amount of certainty based on the characteristics of the farm, based on the weather, based on the topography around the farm, based on pig movement, based on a lot of different things. These two folks at the Minnesota and North Carolina have done machine learning and put all of this information into their big computers and out comes, you're likely to break with PED within two weeks. That will give the producer the ability to to change something to say, whoa, if I've got a risk within two weeks, I've got to look at my biosecurity and make sure we are as hard as we can be. Maybe I want to wean pigs early to get them off of the farm so I don't run the risk of something happening while they're here. I mean, those are the kinds of really exciting things. The next phase of this is going to be to refine that, of course, but it's also going to look at other diseases. It's going to look at PERS and see if we can apply it to PERS because that's a big issue for the industry. Hopefully, at some point in the future, we'll never get ASF or FMD or anything like that. But if we start with baby steps now with these endemic diseases, maybe if we get ASF into the country, we'd be able to apply the same lessons to that virus or other viruses, even an emerging virus, that we'd want to be able to predict and be able to stop. It's a really exciting step. I've spent my whole career as a veterinarian, it seems like, chasing disease from the back, trying to prevent it, but certainly having to address it after it breaks. This is an opportunity to say, I'm at risk for it now, so let's get something done so we can actually prevent an outbreak on an individual farm. 
That's incredible. Almost providing a crystal ball for our producers. And I know, like you said, this is still in development with those universities, but would this be a system where producers would tap into just via their computer or how would this be approachable for our producers out there? Sure. Right now we have cooperators, I think I'd call them. We have farms that are cooperating within the system in order to be able to, like I said, refine the product. It's not generally available yet. It's probably in what I, the beta testing form right now and making sure that we have a good product. It's got to be based on a producer's willingness to share information because we can't just go out, as you say, though, with a crystal ball on any place and say, you're at risk. We have to have the information sharing. We have to have the data that we can analyze. And that's going to be the first step. And we have these um, cooperators within the program that are willing to do that. As I said, we're going to take baby steps and we're going to do, define this. We're going to refine this. And we're going to do a good job with making sure that we have a good product once we're going. Awesome. I think, Dr. Sundberg, those are all the questions that I have for you. But is there anything else that you want to add? Anything else that you would like people to know? I want to make sure that people know that they can go onto the swinehealth.org website for a lot of information about anything that's going on with the center, but also specifically to sign up for a newsletter. I know there are newsletters available in a lot of different sources, but this is one that will come in once a month, and it will include information every month about projects that are going on. Very short, very easy to read, information about the projects. But I think one of the things that people also very much appreciate in this newsletter is we're doing monitoring of diseases in the U.S., of domestic diseases, of PERS, of PED, of mycoplasma, of different syndromes. We report on those on a monthly basis so people can see what's going on in the diagnostic labs on a monthly basis with diseases in the U.S. And we're also reporting on the movement of diseases around the world. So we're looking at African swine fever as it's in Eastern Europe and as it's in China and Southeast Asia. We're looking at foot and mouth disease, classical swine fever in Japan. We're monitoring for these risks around the world as well. And I think it's pretty informative and I'm hopeful that people will see value in getting that newsletter on the swinehealth.org website. Once again, that's Dr. Paul Sundberg. He's the executive director for the Swine Health Information Center, sharing the latest news on how the center is working to prevent and predict diseases. And if you're interested in signing up for that newsletter, we do have the link at MidwestFarmReport.com. From the western end of the world's longest barn in La Crosse, I'm Caitlin Riley. Should you be wearing shorts or industrial-grade insulated pants? Around these parts, it's tough to tell, but not for ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Weather is up next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Get insurance from a company who knows Wisconsin and cares about your community. You may know Rural Mutual Insurance as the number one farm insurer, but did you know they also offer competitive home and auto rates? Visit RuralMutual.com to learn more about products and discounts. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. 
At Tom's Auto Center, we're known for being up front with our auto repairs. And name brand new tires. Tom and Tom of Tom's Auto Center. Goodyear, Firestone, Brigstone, Michelin, BF Goodrich, Continental, and Kelly Tires. We carry and install them all. When you need new tires, Tom's Auto Center will make sure you leave happy. Tom's Auto Center. Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. When asked to name his favorite family members, he asks if the animals in the barn count. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. It is the final day of 2020. Uh, Had to go out with a bang yesterday. We had a ton of snow all around the state. But Ag Meteorologist Stumach, I'm going to bring you in. And it looks as though things have really quieted down today. Compared to yesterday and, you know, the night before, things are a whole lot different. In fact, high pressure is edging in. That's going to mean today a pretty quiet day. Not all that breezy, of course. There'll even be a little sun trying to break through now and again. But that's just ahead of the next possibility. I mean, we see the rain and snow currently extending all the way from Maine, far northeast part of the United States. There's one big solid line all the way back to Texas. That's the front that went through here late the night before. Now the next low will move up out of the southwest and have a small effect in far southeast Wisconsin for a little snow. And that could happen tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow night. And beyond that, I expect a bit drier. And believe it or not, the new year to be on the more mild side. Temps, in fact, above normal as we start moving on towards Saturday and next week. We'll have the forecast details right after this. You know truck duallys, but have you thought about a dual career providing the ability to farm and work for great benefits? From farm implement parts to medical equipment to power tools, Signacast builds the things that help build America. Work shifts allow for 78 fewer days at work per year. Signacast is now hiring production and maintenance employees at their Hartford location, a clean, high-tech workplace. Build your future at Signacast.com careers. Everyone at the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board lives and breathes Wisconsin soybeans and can be your knowledgeable ally in the field and at home. With important grower alerts, timely production advice and industry news, and expert-generated grower research, we are the resource to help your crop and business thrive. Stay in the know and connect with the Wisconsin soybean community by finding Badger Bean on Facebook or by visiting badgerbean.com. It's Josh Scramlin, and right now I am connected live via Skype with ag meteorologist Stu Muck. So, Stu, what can we expect weather-wise for the first day of 2021? Well, the first day of 2021, that's officially tomorrow. It doesn't sound too bad. Today, there'll even be some sun in the south, more clouds further west and north, but not a bad day in the mid-20s. That's about normal. West winds become south about 5. More clouds overnight again, and we hold on. Oh, double digits, maybe a few upper singles with south winds at 5. 2021, mostly cloudy skies in the southeast, and I'd include Madison, Beaver Dam, and just about Fond du Lac. Further south, more likely, more clouds and a little light snow, but we all ought to be in the upper 20s or almost 30 with an east and northeast breeze, and the little snow may continue in the southeast Friday night. By Saturday, mostly sunny, almost all of us around 30 with the northwest winds at 5 to 10, and some sunshine on Sunday. 30 or low 30s, and I expect those low to mid 30s around here to start next week, Josh. So the new year could be a little more mild. All right, Stu. Well, you have a happy new year, and I will talk to you next Monday, January 4th. 
Absolutely. Sounds good. Be careful. Yes, you as well. That's ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Like I just said there, the farm report is off tomorrow, but we will be coming back strong in 2021 on January 4th. That is next Monday. Taking a look at some of the current temps. It's 19 degrees in Wausau. It's 21 in Oshkosh. 19 in Mauston. 21 in Cloudy in Whitewater. It's 21 in Cloudy in Shano. And then it is 19 in Cloudy in La Crosse. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Say, have you heard of the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation? Yes, it's a grassroots organization of people just like you that care about keeping agriculture strong. By joining Farm Bureau, you also qualify for a number of money-saving member benefits on equipment, autos, travel, and insurance. Get more details at WFBF.com. A voice for farmers, vision for agriculture, Wisconsin Farm Bureau. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. If you're interested in a rewarding career with a strong Wisconsin company, Rural Mutual Insurance is looking to add to their growing team of successful employees and agents. Apply online today at RuralMutual.com slash careers. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. One just to the south of Madison, one just to the north. With two concrete-producing plant locations, Advanced Concrete can serve a wider area more efficiently. The greater Madison area, plus parts of Iowa, Sauk, Columbia, Rock, Jefferson, and Green Counties. The concrete-producing company, the contractors rely on Advanced Concrete. Producing concrete foundations to maintain concrete relationships. Tom Spitz and David Fink of Settlers Bank. We would like to take this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you to our many clients and staff members who continue to make Settlers Bank a preferred place to bank and work. We wish you the very best over the upcoming holidays. And we look forward to a prosperous new year. Settlers Bank. Stop by or visit SettlersWI.com. Settlers Bank. Timely decisions. Lenders you know. Member FDIC. Equal Opportunity Lender. Mmm. Need to get some rest. This is the worst headache ever. Hmm. Right arm's all tingly all of a sudden. Must have slept on it last night. I keep losing my balance. These old bones need some exercise. Granddaddy, what you just said doesn't even make sense. It sounds like gibberish. Signs like these could be more than what they seem. They could be a sign of stroke. Sudden weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Sudden trouble with vision in one or both eyes. Sudden trouble walking or difficulty with balance. Or a sudden intense headache that comes out of nowhere. If you or someone you know has any of these symptoms, don't wait. Call 911 immediately. You could make a difference in someone's life, someone you love, maybe even your own. Time lost is brain lost. Find out more at PowerToEndStroke.org. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Is your biggest fear of having dermal filler in the face looking overdone? You are not alone. A Skincare Minute with skincare expert, Michelle Neeson. 
Dermal filler treatments at Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie restore fullness and fill in wrinkles in areas of the face, such as the cheeks, under eyes, lips, and around the mouth. It's very difficult to look overdone with non-surgical dermal fillers due to the amount that's typically injected. Did you know that one syringe of filler equals one-fifth of a teaspoon? One fast food ketchup packet is equivalent to eight syringes. As long as your treatment is performed by a skilled medical professional, you should have the natural-looking results you desire. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. How is it that we can have smokers' lines without ever smoking? A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. Smokers or lip lines can occur not only because of smoking, but other factors, such as talking, drinking from a straw, genetics, and age related fat loss. The most simple and effective treatment for this problem is a combination of dermal fillers such as Juvederm, which can smooth and fill those fine lines as well as hydrate the lips. Also, a neuromodulator such as Botox can be used in small amounts to relax those pursing muscles. At Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie, this treatment results in a natural, more youthful appearance of the mouth and often lasts a year or longer. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. Now we have to go look at Mark Murphy and grovel at his feet, according to some of these people, that uh, he hired Nat LaFleur, and this is the reason why, and the GM he hired saw uh, pro bowlers now in his draft class. Mark Murphy and everyone else associated with the Green Bay Packers, I've heard for years, are schleps. It was all and only Aaron Rodgers. Now, have him playing at an MVP level, we're supposed to say it's not him anymore and it's Mark Murphy? Are you kidding me? Mark Murphy has been a schlep for years. And you can look at some of the things that Brian Gutekunst has done as a GM. They have turned over that roster quite a bit in the last, what, three, four years since Ted Thompson has left. You look at that roster, you can say, oh, well, Brian Gutekunst has missed on some draft picks, but you can also say he's hit on some draft picks and he's hit on some of the free agents that he's went out and got. And we know that Ted Thompson didn't really ever hit on free agents because he never really went out and got them. Yeah. What what is Mark Murphy? Okay, Mark Murphy still has this triangle of power with uh, Gutekunst, LaFleur, and himself. Mark Murphy still has got his fingers all meddling all in there. You never want to, well, he's not an owner, but well, for this sake he is. You never want an owner sticking his neck into everything here, um, which is he's, he's doing. I will, I very, I'm very curious. I don't ever want to find out, but we will in a couple of years. I'm very curious to see how Matt LaFleur would do with the same roster minus Aaron Rodgers and stick in some you know, other quarterback. Well, here. you're going to find out what it looks like sooner than later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like what? Three years? Some people were saying going into the season two years. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little insane. I never thought that <laughs> was going to be true. But when they drafted Jordan Love and you see the last couple seasons from Aaron Rodgers and you go, well, maybe in three years. Maybe. And it looked like some of the, the Packers brass might have been thinking the same way with trading up to j- draft Jordan Love. Aaron Rodgers had been struggling in 17 and 18 and had a decent season in 19, but he's also getting older. He's been injured. Mm-hmm. It, I, I don't just, think you can say that now, but still, it's not. if they continue to win, it's not like you're all of a sudden going to get rid of Matt LaFleur because Aaron Rodgers leaves. 
He's the quarter. Or he's the coach that was winning with the quarterback. They're going to keep him for at least some years after Aaron yeah. Rodgers retires mm-hmm. if they continue to win. So you're going to see what it looks like <clears throat> when he doesn't have a Hall of Famer. And guess what? You can say McCarthy was a good coach. I still think back in his day when the NFL really hadn't passed him by, his offense was good. He was a solid uh, yes, coach. Yes, it was. There's no denying but, it. But here's the thing. When he hadn't had a... MVP or a Hall of Famer in Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, he also struggled too. So I want to see what LaFleur can do, and we'll see it, but I hope it's longer than uh, we expect. Mike McCarthy, eight eight (laughs) NFC North championships, four NFC championship games, one Super Bowl win under his belt, the most wins uh, outside of... Uh, what Lombardi, I think, in uh, history for wins in the Green Bay Packers. He's second all-time in wins. And all I ever heard the entire time was that Aaron Rodgers carried his and everyone else's jockstrap to the finish line, and that's why they were so good. In- but now you have the Packers, who, yes, won the NFC North twice in a row now. They got to an NFC Championship game last year but got bludgeoned. But now it's Mark Murphy that we should be saying that is the reason why that this is working out. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, it's Aaron Rodgers. Especially when you look at the amount of receivers that have been here, gone elsewhere, and all of a sudden you didn't hear from them ever again. And yet, on their way out the door, they started talking trash about the program and the guy who got them yeah. to where they were. Well, by the way, paid. real quick, Mike McCarthy has more wins than Lombardi. He has less wins than Lambeau. Lambeau. Curly Lambeau's number one, McCarthy two, Lombardi three. From 2010, 11, 12, 13... I don't. I wouldn't say that Aaron Rodgers was carrying Mike McCarthy. I think they were working really good in yeah. unison yeah, together. A good pair. And then all of a sudden, you start to see. I believe you know fourteen, fifteen. We start getting into those type of years where they were struggling a little bit more. But also, the kitchen was pretty empty. Well, those, the cupboards, yeah, those, the cupboards were Ted those years you're talking about had some pretty Thompson. good defenses. It's Ted Thompson. And Ted Thompson really wasn't giving Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers any players. And then you start right. to see that relationship fail. But from 2010 to probably about 13, 14, I would say they worked in unison pretty well together. Those offenses were some of the best in the NFL. Yeah. Just look at 2011. Year. The Packers go 14-1. and one. I know they got that. 15-1. Uh, and then they have, uh, yeah, sorry, 15-1. and one. Then they have that loss, what was it, to the uh, Giants. Giants in the playoffs. By That's three. the year that Aaron Rodgers sets the all-time record for quarterback rating, 122.5. Is that good? Yeah, it's the best ever. New high score? Is that? Did That's, I break it? It's the best ever. But all you ever heard was about how Aaron Rodgers carried everyone. Now the big Jays are out there saying, it's time to look at Mark Murphy and acknowledge what he's doing and his greatness. What has he done? When asked to name his favorite family members, he asks if the animals in the barn count. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. The federal government released its dietary guidelines earlier this week for the next five years. And for a little bit there, we didn't know exactly what they were going to do with dairy. But the dairy industry is very happy as those guidelines reaffirmed dairy's place in the American diet. We'll take a look at that in just a moment. But first, let's see what happened on this day in history. It was on December 31st, 1967, that the Green Bay Packers played the Dallas Cowboys in what many consider to be the greatest game in NFL history, the Ice Bowl. The thermometer dipped to a very shocking 13 below zero and a wind chill of minus 46. But despite all that, Bart Starr scored the winning touchdown from the one-yard line with 13 seconds remaining. And that secured the third straight championship for the Pack. That was their fifth in seven years. The final score 53 years ago from Lambeau Field, 21-17. to 
Again, my name is Josh Scramlin, and right now I am sitting behind the Landmark Services Cooperative Agri-News Desk taking a look at what is happening on New Year's Eve. So like I said, it was earlier this week that the USDA and the Department of Health and Human Services released their 2020 to 2025 Dietary Guidelines for America. So this is a report that comes out every five years and kind of sets the standard for federal programs. Most importantly, schools. Of the dozens of things laid out in the guidelines, some of the biggest ones for the dairy industry, there's a recommendation of three servings of dairy in a healthy U.S. eating pattern. Dairy is going to be continued to be recognized as a distinct food group. The guidelines say that Americans aren't consuming enough dairy to meet their nutritional needs, meaning that they need to eat more. And then there's also a recommendation of milk, yogurt, and cheese in the first ever healthy eating patterns geared toward infants and toddlers from birth to the age of 24 months. So for the first time ever, they are saying that youngsters need to get a good share of dairy in their diet. But one thing that the dietary guidelines did fall short of was they didn't necessarily reaffirm the important place that dairy fats have in a diet. So the National Milk Producers Federation is pledging to continue its efforts to broaden the consideration of the latest science on dairy fats in the next examination of the federal guidelines. So they're hoping in another five years there's enough noise being made that dairy fats are included in those dietary guidelines. A couple months back when the dietary guidelines were being considered, I spoke with U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher of Green Bay, and I asked him what the rationale was in keeping dairy fats out of the diet. Well, I don't think there's any science behind it. Uh, or if, it, what, if, if there is, it's based on outdated science. I mean, just look at all the fads in dieting and, and nutrition, right? It used to be low-fat diet was a thing, and now it's, you know, paleo, high-fat, low-carb diet. So, you know, obviously we're updating our sense of what's best, and we now know, in a way we perhaps didn't in the past, that full-fat dairy products are good for kids, they're good for adults, and we should be encouraging people to to uh, to drink it. This was a conversation I had with U.S. Congressman Mike Gallagher in early October when the guidelines were being considered, and I asked him then what programs were going to be affected by the decisions that the USDA and the Department of Health and Human Services made. Basically anything the federal government touches in the form of subsidy and, and things like that. I mean, I, you know, primarily, I think it's egregious when it affects our kids' Of food in schools. And what we've learned in the, the pandemic is that kids, a lot of our low-income Wisconsinites, kids in Wisconsin, you know, depend on school for food. And so we want to make sure we're giving those kids who may not be in the healthiest environment in terms of what they're eating every single day, the best options available to them. As Congressman Mike Gallagher of Green Bay, he represents Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District. And those are some snippets that I wanted to bring back and dust off for you. Uh, I spoke with him back in October, but now that we have the new dietary guidelines, I thought it'd be good to bring back that conversation as that's what we were talking about a couple months back. Also, in other news, the North American Meat Institute's challenge to California's Prop 12 is unsuccessful once again. The U.S. Court of Appeals in the Ninth Circuit rejected the Institute's challenge to the California 2018 ballot initiative that imposes new standards for animal housing. So what the court decision does is it confirms an initial judgment in October, and then California voters approved the Prevention of Cruelty to Farm Animals Act with 63% of the vote. What the law does is it creates minimum requirements to provide more space for veal calves, 
breeding pigs, and then egg-laying hens. So by 2020, the law requires farmers to give hens at least one foot of floor space, and then it says farmers have to eliminate cages by 2022. Farmers must now give veal calves at least 43 square feet, and sows get 24 feet of room. So court challenges by the Meat Institute and other groups have centered around the fact that the law applies to out-of-state producers of meat and eggs who want to sell products in California. It doesn't just have an impact on Californian farmers. It has an impact on farmers all across the country. So both the Federal Department of Justice and 20 states joined the Meat Institute's challenge, arguing that the law will contribute to higher food prices for consumers. From the Landmark Services Cooperative Agri-News Desk, I'm Josh Scramlin, and your markets from Chicago are straight ahead. Wondering where you can hear how milk contracts are doing at this time of day? Wonder no more. The Midwest Farm Report will be back with a market update in just moments. Everyone at the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board lives and breathes Wisconsin soybeans and can be your knowledgeable ally in the field and at home. With important grower alerts, timely production advice and industry news, and expert-generated grower research, we are the resource to help your crop and business thrive. Stay in the know and connect with the Wisconsin soybean community by finding Badger Bean on Facebook or by visiting badgerbean.com. You know truck duallys, but have you thought about a dual career providing the ability to farm and work for great benefits? From farm implement parts to medical equipment to power tools, Signacast builds the things that help build America. Work shifts allow for 78 fewer days at work per year. Signacast is now hiring production and maintenance employees at their Hartford location, a clean, high-tech workplace. Build your future at Signacast.com slash careers. When asked to name his favorite family members, he asks if the animals in the barn count. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. All right, let's take a look at your opening markets from Chicago. Taking a look at the grain trade, March corn is up eight pennies at 474 flat, and May corn also clocks in at 474 even. That is up eight cents as well. January beans are up five and a half cents at 1301, and March beans are at 1297. That is up one penny. As for wheat, March wheat is up 21 cents at 639 and a half, and May wheat is at 637 and a quarter. That is up 18 cents. And then pivoting to dairy, butter's at 144 and three quarters. That's down on four and a half cents. Block cheddar's at 164. That's up a half a penny. And cheddar barrel is up one and a half cents at 150 and three quarters of a cent. And then finally, for a gander at your class three fluid milk contracts, January milk is down 21 cents at 1605. And February milk is down five cents at 1788. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Josh Scramlin. The Army National Guard plays a vital role in your community. We're on the front lines supporting essential personnel first responders, law enforcement, and medical professionals, delivering food, supplies, and medicine, keeping communities safe, making a difference. During emergencies, we're always ready, always there. Learn more about part-time service in the Army National Guard at nationalguard.com. Sponsored by the Wisconsin Army National Guard, aired by the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association and this station. A furnace tune-up can extend the life of your furnace and help avoid emergencies on the coldest days of winter. Need a new furnace? Dave Jones has competitive pricing on Energy Star rated furnaces and provides a complimentary one-year checkup. And they won gold in 2020 Best of Madison and Best of Monona. After all, Dave Jones is your trusted service partner. Dave Jones. 
SteveJonesInc.com. There is no reason to be intimidated by words like gold, diamonds, jewels. No reason at all, especially when you stop into Goodman's Jewelers, 220 State Street, same location they've been at for over 85 years because they haven't been in business that long by intimidating people. They've been in that business by having beautiful pieces at all price points, whether it be an engagement ring, a wedding band, a pendant, maybe even a necklace, birthday, anniversaries, so many different occasions to give such beautiful jewelry that is very affordable. And of course, they've got the bling bling, the shine and diamonds, but they also have a great selection of other exotic gemstones and a lot of the cuts that are super hot these days. They may have that traditional feel, that traditional customer service, but they also have the new modern looks of today. Stop in and take a look at their jewelry case. Talk to the staff. Find out what it is that they have and what it is that they can create. Go online, goodmansjewelers.com. He takes being called a pig as a compliment because he knows that they're smarter than most dogs and people. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Josh Scramlin. This is the final conversation that we will have here on the Midwest Farm Report in the year 2020. It's the year that felt like it would never end, but I'm going to bring in uh, one of the folks that has been very helpful for us this year, especially as we have continued to try to keep a pulse on the markets. I know they change by the second, so the minute you say one thing, they change. But uh, our commodity brokers in both Chicago and then our friend John Heinberg over in West Bend have really helped us make sense of uh, everything that's went on in probably the most volatile year in the history of the commodity markets. Uh, with that, I'm going to bring in Andy Fallman. He is a market advisor with Everag down in Chicago, Illinois. So, Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Um, let's get right to it. What are the big things that you have been seeing in the dairy markets this week in particular? It's really just been kind of a wait to see almost what we get out of the government in terms of what they can actually spend and, and what they're going to be spending this money on, right? You know, we had you know, we had the bill that passed the House, it passed the Senate. You know, there was a little bit of a hiccup in terms of it getting it signed by the president, but then ultimately this past Sunday evening it got signed. And actually, you know, I was watching the futures market. We opened uh, milk Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. Central, and it opened lower. And, you know, once that bill was signed, we saw a pretty sharp retracement higher. So, you know, clearly the trade was watching, you know, w- what's going to happen with the stimulus bill. And, and now, of course, there was leading up to Sunday evening, there was question about whether or not it was even going to be put into effect because, again, the president had said you know, he wasn't going to sign it. And then he did. Um, so, you know, this week, you know, we've seen the cash cheese market kind of creep itself higher here. We have actually started to see some more some more trade on uh, Monday and Tuesday session between the two, 20 loads of CME blocks traded. I think I want to say uh, about 15 barrels. Um, so you're starting to see buyers take a little bit more interest here. But again, I think all eyes are, are really on what the government's going to do here. We report the news. You guys watch the markets. And we've been mm-hmm. uh, all we've been talking about recently is what the government is doing. But in terms of real impact on the markets, when would you actually expect, once those programs are rolled out, like time frame, when would you actually expect them to really start making things matter? I think once we get some more clarity on, on what some of these bigger spends are going to be. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example right out of the right out of the bill. No less than 1.5 billion to fund purchases of food for distribution to those in need. Um, the, the the take on that is that are they going to continue to refund or, or just or actually just refund the, the farmers to family food box program? 
that program, you know, it, it took a lot of cheese off the marketplace. And, and really, I think it's in, in large part why we had record high cheese prices this year. You know, we took a trip to three bucks in the block and then took a second trip to 270. And again, that was in large part due to that program. Um, again, they haven't, when you read through the bill, it, it, it doesn't say whether or not they're actually going to fund that program, but they're certainly taking steps to be able to do so. So the question is, you know, do they make that announcement? Let's say they do make that announcement. I think once they do, it will have a material impact on the market, especially once we learn over what time frame they're going to be funding that program. You know, let's say that's only through the first quarter, for example, or they spread those funds out through June. You know, uh, if they spread it out only to the first quarter, well, that's a lot more money that's being spent in a short amount of time versus, you know, spread out through June. That's less money being spent over a greater period of time. Um, so, uh, again, it's it's not only do they, you know, do they refund that program, but also over what time frame. And I think those two, those two are very key pieces. Um, once we learn more about what those can do, I think we can see a sharp reaction in the market. Conversely, if, you know, maybe they don't fund that program. Um, I, you know, February here at $18 in class three, you know, the current cash, if you back, you know, the block barrel and weigh into a class three price, it's today it's about $15 and 50 cents. So the market, the futures market certainly telling us that we have more upside to go in the cash market. Uh, I think some of that is also due to the potential for the food box program to be reenacted hmm. or to be refunded, I should say. It's fascinating where we are now compared to where we were a calendar year ago. I mean, the way I've been thinking about it is this is the first year, maybe ever, where we're heading into the year and we don't know what's going to happen with food service. We don't know what's going to happen with schools. So taking that into consideration, what are the big things that you guys are on the lookout for in 2021 um, if there's anything outside of the government spending? Sure. Uh, it's a great question. And it's something I think we need to be really mindful of, um, you know, and, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I think you know we, we've seen the last couple of the last couple of milk production reports have shown that milk production has been growing, specifically, you know, particularly in the Midwest. Uh, we've got some new capacity that, that came online in terms of cheese, you know, production in, in Michigan. Um, they're starting to ramp up a little bit more. So you've, you've got some supply things that are starting to build. I think the question is going to be how strong demand comes back in. You know, we've we've got a vaccine now that is in use, and people are starting to to take and. You know the the restaurant business. You know, I was. It, it's amazing how much dairy gets 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 consumed at the restaurant level. And when we lose that demand, that's a big that's a big hit, especially to the butter market. So you know, I, I think it's a question of you know, how how quickly does the country kind of quote get back to normal and reopen? And you know, it, is that in the second quarter? Do we not start to see that until the summer months? I think once we start to see that demand function come back into the marketplace, I think you just start to see more of, you know, more support, especially in the butter market. We use a significant amount of butter at the restaurant level, and it took a big hit here, and it never really recovered. You know, that going back to food box, that was more cheese, right? And you saw that effect in the spot cheese market in the class three, whereas the class four products, non-fat and butter, they didn't really get any benefit from that program. And so they were just kind of, you know, they've been lower for some time. Um, so, and then also too, you know, we've we've turned into a bit of a printing press in terms of money here lately, right? And we've seen our U.S. dollar index really get get hit pretty good. You know, I go, you go back to like June, it was you know over 100. Now we're you know, we, we're back below 90. And you know, the lower that the lower that price goes, the more the, the better our ability is to export. Um, so I think that's also something to be really mindful of is that is that to continue to continues to deteriorate. 
you know, do we become more competitive in the export market, especially if we start to see some of those supply issues weigh on prices at the spot market? I'm really glad you brought up exports because that's something that actually I haven't asked a commodity broker about in a while. So how are dairy exports looking? That's something that we haven't touched on in a little bit. You know, we've, this year, I believe we, in June especially, we had a record export month for cheese. Um, and it showed us that even though we were in the height of a global pandemic, you know, we, we were still able to do some very good business with our export partners. But that said, you know, our spot price was called around $1.10 to $1.15 and into the NDPSR at the time. So it was a little bit of a different market, obviously. But, you know, again, it's that that, that whole dichotomy is, is one big puzzle that's constantly moving between, you know, our currency risk that we just talked about, where our spot price is, and then or do futures allow for business to be booked forward? I think the futures market may be a little high here to be doing that right here, right now. Um, but again, you know, I, I think we need to be really mindful of what currencies do here because they they can have a pretty big impact. And you know, we're starting to see the dollar trade down to. If you just give me one second, I mean, it's it it hasn't traded this price since about 2018. If it gets another call it to 80 87, and then you wouldn't have seen that price since call it 2015 into you know 2014 into 2015. So I, I think that's going to continue to be something that will allow us to be more competitive in the export market. And I think that's going to be something that we really start to see more and more of this year for, I should say, in 2021. Hmm. Well, uh, I should have asked you this before, but if folks want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? Uh, you can just give us a shout. You know, at the, you can give us a call on our office number, 312-492-4200. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, my email address, uh, it's just my initials, A is in Apple, J is in Jack, F is in Frank, at ever.ag, E-V-E-R.ag. All right. And then before I let you go, since this is the last time, this is literally the last conversation on this show uh, for this year. Um, what should the mindset be if I'm a producer and I'm heading into 2021? How should I be feeling after everything that has happened in the last year and we're finally into a new year? You know, uh, it's a good question. I, I think, you know, I think continuing to have prudent risk management is the way to be going here. And, and when, you know, we talked about class three here for a little bit, and you know, the, the futures curve out forward, when I'm just looking at, you know, the, the second quarter through the fourth quarter, it's offering prices over 17 bucks, a hundred weight. Um, you know, again, the cash market is telling us that the class three should be worth $15 and 30 cents or 15 50 really. But that's again, right here, right now. Um, I would be, you know, I would be looking at exploring all any and all risk management tools. You know, we, we've seen some good uptick in the dairy uh, dairy revenue protection program DRP. Um, you know, the futures market, see me, all, all that good stuff. I would be you know continuing to look at those and utilizing them. Andy Fallman, he's an advisor with Everag down in Chicago, Illinois. Our final conversation of 